words for you this morning as I came into church. Three wonderful words. I saw grass. Yay. I never thought I would ever see that ever again. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's coming. Praise his name. Amen. How many are glad that, that no matter what we see, we can see Jesus this morning, right? Hallelujah. Reminds me of, the, of that passage in the New Testament where they came to the apostles and they said those several, three wonderful words. We would see Jesus. Four words. We would see Jesus. And that's what we want this morning. So let's stand together into his presence and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see him today in all of his glory. Father, we just thank you so much that we can see you today in our hearts, in our spirits, through the word. We can sense your presence. And we just want to open up our hearts to you right now. That as those early apostles said, we would see Jesus because Jesus has all the answers. So whatever we need this morning, we know that you're here to cleanse, to heal, to deliver, set free, to minister all that you have for us through the power of the Spirit. And so we open ourselves to that. Bless us as we share together from the beginning to the end of the service. And we're going to praise you because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's worship. Oh, we lift up your name, yes, we lift up your name, oh, King Jesus, and all of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord, Jesus is coming soon.
altars are open. the song in my head so that just tells me that God wants me to speak from my heart for a minute. We just invite you, church, to come down for prayer. Father God, we bless this time. Bless this time of people experiencing you. Hearts to be changed. I was just thinking about something the other day where we all have something that we carry that is kind of a burden and people may judge that burden and think us less than, but we're not less than because Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit sees us as a finished work right now. They saw us at our lowest. They saw the in-between. And they still called us anyway and said, I can use you because I will confound the wise. Many people will say that, oh, that other person would have made a much better choice. No, no. God knows what he's doing. Because the best, most qualified person in the world is not going to even come close to the so-called average person that God anoints and uses. There's nothing that can come against that. And so I'm just thinking this morning, even while I was driving here, I heard a song that Paul McCartney wrote about John Lennon. And he said in the last line, for you were in my song. What a statement that when the Lord sings over you while you sleep, you are in his song. Yeah, yeah. He is your song. You are his song. You are his beloved and he is yours. He didn't bring you this far to watch you fail. So there's someone out there today that thinks things just aren't working out for me. I'm ready to give up. Let's be real. We, we may think that, you know, we've got to be all that to our friends and show our best side. But there's times where we think, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give up. I can't take it anymore. But the next song that we sing is the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. He's faithful to complete the work in you. That's right. No matter what it looks like now. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh
time we sing that song, I naturally think of Peter when he sees Jesus on the water. He says, Jesus, if it's you, call me out so that I can come out to you. He's all like, I want to do something impossible. He's all like, I have the faith to do it. So Jesus says, all right, come on out. And as he's walking, you know, the, the wind starts to pick up, the wave starts to pick up, and he gets nervous, and he starts losing his faith. Jesus saves him, but points out his little faith. So, but here's what 1 John 5 says. It says, by this we know that we love uh, the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. It says that Jesus has given each one of us a measure of faith. And so I, we sang, great is thy faithfulness. I think of Peter as he walks on the water. God gave him a measure of faith to get that far. And then he encourages him, but you got to have a little bit more. you got to have a little bit more. So I'm just going to pray right now that God increases our faith. Jesus, I thank you that all faith comes from you. I thank you, Jesus. You, you've given each one of us a measure of faith. That's what the Bible says. God, I pray that we would learn to walk in that faith and increase that faith that we have. I thank you, Jesus. It just takes a little bit for amazing things to happen. It just takes a little bit for us to see breakthrough in our families, to see breakthroughs in our relationship with you, in our, in our finances, in our work. God, I pray for more. I pray for more faith in Jesus' name. I pray that the people of this church will be known as people with faith who believe that we have a God who calls us to do impossible things, that we are going to overcome this world by your faith in Jesus' name that you've given us. And I thank you, God. I thank you, Jesus, for making us a faithful church, God, with our eyes set on you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Um, ushers, you may be, you can come forward uh, for the for this morning's tithes and offering. Um, one thing that I've kind of learned even more recently is that um, I, I put myself in this mindset that everything that I have comes from God. So when I, when I think about whatever I have in the bank isn't because of my job, isn't because of what work that I do, it's because of my God. He is my source. He is my provider. And I think of the story that this one uh this one pastor said, he, he felt led to ask his grandparents, what, what was the most amazing miracle that you have ever experienced? And his grandma says, well, we, we gave up everything for the ministry. And she's like, slowly our money ran out. So we were at our house and we had no food. They were like, we didn't, we didn't know what we were going to do. We, there, there was nothing. So, so we just prayed. And she said, um, she's seen 10 chickens come down go into the barn, lay 10 eggs, and turn around and start walking back out. So she's like, what? What's going on? But she was a good Christian lady, so she didn't keep them. She got a basket, put all the eggs in the basket, and followed them wherever they were going. So they went to the neighbor's house. So she rolls up at the neighbor's house and says, um, these chickens laid these eggs. And the woman said, that's impossible. My husband hates those eggs. He hates those chickens because we've had them for years, and they've never laid a single egg. So she's like, well, they laid these eggs. Here's a proof. These are yours. And she says, if those chickens ever lay eggs on your property, they belong to you. And so she, she realized every time they were low on food, those 10 chickens would come in, lay 10 eggs. She never had to feed them, never had to care for them, but God provided. Now, the reason why, it's because I look, uh, I, what does the Bible say? I, I set my eyes on the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Everything I have comes from God. And uh, so during thousand offering, it's just a way of me saying, God, everything I have is from you. Here's just a little bit just to show you my appreciation. But everything I have comes from you. So let me just go ahead and uh, pray for this thousand offering. I thank you, Jesus, for providing for us. God, I thank you for letting us live in America, one of the most uh, greatest places in the world to live in, God, with freedom of religion, God. So many opportunities, God. It's a blessing just to be here. Um, and I thank you, God, for everything that you've given us. Um, I pray that you'd bless these tithes and offering, God. I pray that you'd multiply them and just do amazing work for your kingdom, work that lasts forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Um, gentlemen in the sound booth, I forgot to mention 
we have a special guest speaker, Kavan, in the corner, is going to share something. So if we can grab a mic for him. Um, Kavan had uh, something that he felt the Lord wanted him to share uh, based on last week and the uh, business meeting we had and the deacons changing over and things like that. And so I said, yeah, why don't we go ahead and share it right now? So everybody turn your attention well, you could just you could just look forward if you want, or you could turn around and uh, go from there. Kavan's going to just share something real quick. Okay, thank you, Tommy. I want to thank you for the privilege to do this because it's uh, something that was put on my heart about everybody here in the deacons board. Uh, thank you. Just listen up for a second. To all of my Jesus-led and highly favored, also blessed fellow parishioners. My apologies. These are times that uh, this mind that makes me what I am seems to take me off track sometimes. Example, this past Sunday, February 13, 2022, I failed to say what a gift and blessing it has been to serve on the deacon's board. With such dedicated and trustworthy staff, God-led people. To be in a meeting with Pastor David, you will know and feel his many years of knowledge coming through. Speak of being blessed, praise God. To sit with an, our presiding president, Frank Moorhead, he not only has the gift to make you laugh, he also has the wisdom to point out items that require attention and might have gone overlooked. What a gift he is. When you were in the same room with Frank Walker, you will see his years of dedication come shining through. To watch this committee at work is a joy and an honor. Setting in a counting room with Vivian McPeak, you will see a very efficient person who is spot on. Roxanne Preston Ali has the ability to express herself with a kindness and a concern that in my opinion is unequaled. This woman, this lady is super smart. Mary, Ann, and Butch and I will be leaving soon from the group. However, that leaves Cher Devlin, whose input is so valued and so treasured. She is so gifted, and she's a blessing to the church family. Now listen, when you talk of treasures, we got to... We get to set with our beloved Pastor Ron. This man has a deep love for the body of Christ. Just listen to him. You can't help but learn. God bless him. I think that what I'm trying to say is that this committee is absolutely necessary part of our church and a blessing. <laughs> I am so pleased to see Charles Russell returning. He's uh, articulate, he's caring, he's intelligent. Welcome back, my brother in Christ. Also, welcome aboard, Steve Sharanak. I know you will be an asset to expanding the board's knowledge base. This is a very special group of believers. It has been a pleasure to serve on this board. May the grace of God be with you all. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Kavan. Amen. 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 You know, we really fail to realize that the deacon board was the first instituted body other than the apostles in the New Testament. 
and they are very, very special people with great responsibility uh, spiritually and otherwise. And um, don't forget, for those, well, for Steve coming on, but I know he's going to count right now, but for those of you on there, just never forget that the first martyr of the church was a deacon. So just saying. All the pastors stood back and sent out the deacons. And Stephen got it. And one of the greatest evangelists in the early church, Philip, was a deacon as well. So very, very important position. So we do covet all of your prayers. And, and uh, as you're opening your Bibles to Second Chronicles 3, we're going to start at Second Chronicles 3. Uh, teens, I guess you may be dismissed as well. But Second uh, uh, Chronicles 3, um, <clears throat> and then I interrupted myself and I forgot what I was going to say, but so it must not have been that important. Or it must have been stupid and silly, because you know that happens. <laughs> Just keep it up, we're, doing, we're getting there. Second um, Chronicles 3, but uh, yes, the, important of the de- importance of the deacon is, is wonderful. Oh, that's what I was going to say. And this past deacon board, we, uh, I believe it was actually Frank uh, Moorhead, well, I had sent out, I will send out usually a, a text, a group text to everybody regarding something and for their input and things like that. And, and then uh, Frank Moorhead sort of absconded with it. And uh, it, uh, it is, they are some of the funniest texts you will ever read between these people. It's just text filled with comments about donuts and all sorts of funny things. So it, it was a very, very funny group of people, and I think we'll continue that uh, as well. Amen. Um, uh, Second uh, Chronicles, the third chapter, and we're finishing up today with the three instances of Moriah in Scripture. And uh, there's, there's a, I'm, I'm just going to give a brief overview here very quickly because there's another subtopic in this, this whole thing about the Tabernacle of David that I think may, we may just work into another sermon because it is so profound and so deep that we can't, we can't let it go, but it's just too much to deal with uh, this morning as well. But the scene or the setting is the building of Solomon's temple, and in verse, three, verse 1 of Second Chronicles 3, uh, we just see where the temple is built. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David, at the place that David had prepared the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. So, remember we covered those topics these past couple of weeks, that there are three instances where Moriah is found in Scripture. The first one is the sacrifice uh, of Isaac with Abraham. The second one is mentioned here, also in verse 1, where David sinned that great sin. We talked about it last week, that he had to uh, repent and offer a sacrifice, so he did it on the threshing floor of the Jebusite Ornon. And uh, so that speaks of judgment. The first one speaks of sacrifice. The second one speaks of judgment. And then we come to this portion, which speaks of glory. And we talked about that process, that uh, this is the final stop in our tour of special places uh, in Moriah. So we had that first altar. And it's interesting that every instance of Moriah always had an altar as well. The altar is very important. Not this altar, this altar is important, but the altar of our heart, of course, where we commune with the Father is a very important thing. And every one of them had an altar. So there was the altar with Abraham and Isaac, it was a place of sacrifice. There was an altar with David and Ornan, it was a, an altar of judgment and repentance. And then finally we now have this second altar, which is in the temple where the glory comes down. Now, you can go ahead and read. We're, we're not going to read because the whole thing goes all the way through the seventh chapter, I believe. Uh, and, and we'll be actually concentrating more on the end of the sixth chapter today. But right at the beginning of the fifth chapter and onward, Solomon does another thing. And this is, this is a whole other sermon, but it's just for, our note, just for us to notice. He brings up the tabernacle of David. And he sets the tabernacle of David in a little different place. He sets it on Mount Zion. So there's Mount Zion with the tabernacle of David, but the temple is built on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And if you just... 
just think about that and pray about it. And we'll talk about it maybe in, in next week or the week after. I don't know. It, it, there is, it, is, it is so profound and incredible, the fulfillment of what happened in those places uh, in Scripture, that it's, it's just amazing. But for now, we're going to deal with just the glory of the temple. So this is our final stop. And this altar that is always there is there because he wants to build his dwelling place in us, doesn't he? He doesn't want to build his dwelling place here in this building. He wants to dwell, build his dwelling place, his temple, inside of us. And that's why we're constantly, constantly told in Scripture from the Old Covenant all the way to uh, Romans, the 12th chapter. What does, what does Paul say? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. All of that. And it's all pointing to the fact that we need to continue to keep the temple clean. How many know there are a lot of times we need to go into our temple and overturn some tables? We talked about that last week and the week before. Tables that are in there of our own manufacture, of our own flesh. We need to overturn those tables and invite his presence back in. And that's when the glory comes. And I love you, but I want the glory of the Lord in my life. I don't want the flesh anymore. I want the glory of the Lord. And there are lots of different definitions of glory, which we won't necessarily get into. But how about a good definition of glory would be from that, that passage in Romans 12, that we bring about his good and acceptable and perfect will in our lives. That's about as glorious as you can get. We allow him to fulfill his work and his purpose in all of us. It's an amazing thing. So we're going to look at two quick points, and then I'm going to close with four points, uh, four quick points about openness before him and what happens. But the first one is that the glory comes to a prepared people, and it comes to an open people. Glory comes to a prepared people, first of all. And then to an open people. And as I say, we won't take time to read it, but you could read all of the incredible things that they did through the third, the fourth chapter, how they furnished the temple, and how they prepared for this outpouring. And then in the 11th chapter, uh, I'm sorry, the 5th chapter, verse 11, uh, the priests came out to the most holy place, and they sanctified themselves, and they began to worship, and they had cymbals and stringed instruments, verse 12, and harps, uh, 120 priests sounding with trumpets. 120 trumpets, that's a lot of trumpets. And when their trumpeters and singers were done, they made one sound, praising and thanking the Lord. They lifted up their voice with their trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. And then it goes on and talks about the rest of the dedication of the temple. So they prepared themselves. Now, The glory comes to a prepared people. Now, you say, well, how do we do that? How do we prepare for that glory? Well, the first thing we have to understand is we do not prepare him for us. We prepare us for him. We don't prepare to get him here. We prepare to get rid of stuff in us so that he can arrive. We're preparing ourselves for him. So you say, well, how do we do that? Well, several ways. There are uh, several ways to not prepare. So let's look at the nots first. Number one, we do not prepare with false holiness. We don't do that. There is nothing that I can do to impress God. It's impossible. He's been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, <laughs> made the t-shirt. He owns it all. If, if you say, well, if I do this and I do that... And then I say, okay, Lord, now I'm ready to be in your presence. It's sort of like people that are, some people that are unsaved, and, they, and you talk to them about the Lord, and they say, well, I don't know, I have to do this, and I have to give up that, and I have to do this and do that. They make all sorts of excuses what they have to do to get ready for salvation. You can't do anything to get ready for salvation except just say, I'm sorry, I repent, and I accept you. So we do the same thing many times. The problem is, when we try to get ready for him, we, we don't even know what is in us to get ready for. You don't don't know what he wants to do in you. I don't know what he wants to do in me. I don't know all of the hidden recesses of my heart, the secret places, the deep pockets of rebellion. There are a lot of things that I don't know about myself, and the ones that I do know about myself, they disgust me. So so there are times, what can I do to come into his presence? I, I, I can't do anything. True holiness says... In me dwells no good thing, the word says. But by your grace 
and by your mercy, because your love is better than life, because your loving kindness is better than my entire life, because the life I now live, I live by Jesus who gave himself for for me. Therefore, I can come boldly into the throne room of God. I can come boldly into his presence and find grace and mercy. You could prepare yourself till the cows come home and all you're going to get is the cows. It doesn't work. Ritual and format doesn't work. We know that. We see that in religion. And, that, and that's the second one. Ritual doesn't work. We know we have, we, we always talk about our, our Catholic friends and, and Lutherans and whatever else that have all the ritual and things like that. Uh, but, you know, we could bring that a little close to home too, can't we, folks? We, we have rituals and things here too, but we like putting God in little boxes too, don't we? We like formulas and we like that. I remember the, the, the big uh, move in the, early, in the church uh, years ago was uh, how you set up a worship service and you start with first a fast song, a fast rambunctious song, and then you move into the inner court where you slow it down and you sing some slower worship songs, and then you move into the Holy of Holies where you have the worship songs itself. And that was a pattern that swept through all the churches, and that's the way we did it. Like we were preparing for, like we knew what we were going to do to invite God in. Listen, folks, you get ready for the gathering of the saints when you're in the shower at home. That's when you get ready. You get ready, not with the saints, but you get ready for the saints. (laughs) You get ready. You're ready before you get here. We're, we're not, we don't get here and then say, oh, I've got to get my heart right now. No, 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 no. Getting your heart right should have started Saturday night. Should have shut off the TV then. Should have got down on your knees on Sunday morning and said, Lord, I'm getting ready. I've got to be ready for your presence. So, so we do the same thing many times. We have rituals and things that we go through that we think we make ourselves ready for God. So that's what we do not do. You say, well, how do, repair, how do we prepare for God's presence? Well, when you read these passages all through here, you'll find out that, that I believe, number one, God comes to those who hunger and thirst after him, those who are broken before him. Really? It's like that easy? It's that easy. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to have a degree in Bible. Nothing like that. You just need to be broken before him. You need to hunger and thirst after righteousness because you will be filled if you hunger and thirst. God, as a matter of fact, God said to Israel, keep all your sacrifices. They don't impress me. Stop hacking up all those lambs and doves and rams. Stop gutting all those bulls. I want a broken and a contrite heart more than I want the law that I gave you. It's amazing. You want a real service? You want a real worship service? That would happen when all of us get together and we say, Lord, I'm the clay, you're the potter, reshape me right now, remold me right now. When you get 100 people to say that, when you get a church full of people to say that, you're going to have church. It's going to happen. When you get a group of people to say, God, I'm empty, fill me up. I'm weak, now make me strong. I'm lost, please show me the way. I'm naked, please clothe me. I'm poor, give me your riches. I'm sinful, give me your righteousness. I have nothing, please give me any thing and I'll take it. Just like the little Samaritan woman that came to Jesus and Jesus said, don't you know that bread belongs to the children and not to the dogs? And her, her wonderful faith, she said, even the dogs deserve some crumbs. <laughs> so father, if it's crumbs you have for me, it's crumbs I'll take. I'll take whatever you give me. It's hunger. It's hunger. Say, father, God, I, I need you. I need you. That's the preparation for glory. That's how it happens. That's the preparation for his glory to come. Glory comes to a prepared people whose hearts are broken and contrite and whose soil is broken up, ready to receive seed. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the glory comes to an open people. You, you, you can't be broken before him unless you're open before him. It, it doesn't work that way. So the first thing is you have to be open before him. And I'm firmly convinced that especially in these last days, all the Lord wants from us is just to be open. Just to be open to him. He wants broken ground. He wants soft hearts. He wants contrite spirits. He wants simple faith. He doesn't want professionalism anymore. He doesn't want sophistication. He doesn't want showmanship. He doesn't want perfection. He just wants an open, broken heart before him. Greatest example of this, of course, in Scripture, I believe, is Mary the mother of Jesus, and, and, and the announcement comes to her, and, and the angel speaks to her, and, and, and he says, 
Don't worry. Here's what I have for you, Mary. I'm going to do something in you. Just paraphrasing. I'm going to do something in your life. It's going to be a blessed thing. And all the generations to come will rise up and call you blessed. Wow, that would be quite the thing for God to tell you this afternoon while you're laying on the couch. All of a sudden, the Lord comes in and says, I'm going to do something in your life. You're going to be blessed in every nation. People are going to remember you from this time forward. Wow. He says, just, just to let you know, though, just to let you know, you'll be a disgrace to your family. You will disgust your fiancé. Shame will be in front of your whole town. You'll be ridiculed the rest of your life. You'll be cut off, cut out, cut loose by everybody. They will make fun of you and keep asking you how you got pregnant, and you'll have to keep telling them God made you pregnant. So what do you have now to, to say that now, Mary? Huh? Now what? And Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Wow. That's why she's remembered generation after generation. That's right right there. She didn't even have a degree in Bible. She didn't even have a ministry. She wasn't even a 501c3 organization. She had no cassette ministries. She had no YouTube channel. Nothing. She wasn't on Instasham or Spitter or anything. She just said, whatever it costs, Jesus, whatever it costs, be it unto me, even as your word. Whatever it costs. Oh, that I could be that open. (laughs) Oh, that I could lose my reputation with no thought. My goodness. But when we are, he comes to us and he places among us his blessing. And, and that's where I want you to just flip over to the sixth chapter. And this is where we're going we're gonna to rest for the rest of this time. The sixth chapter, verse uh, 40 in his prayer. Uh, Solomon says, sixth chapter of Second Chronicles, verse 40. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayers made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and your saints rejoice with goodness. And, O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed and remember the mercies of your servant David. Four things happen when we come into his presence in this way. We receive rest, number one. We receive strength. We receive anointing. And we receive goodness and mercy. Those are the things that happen. Let's look at those four things very quickly. First of all, in this place of his glory, he, he, he makes us a place of rest. I don't know about you, but I need rest from what's going on in the world. I need rest. I am so tired of this whole thing. I need rest in him. And the word rest means to cease from labor or to confederate. Our rest is not as much a place uh, a place as it is a position. When he is in me, he confederates his life into me. I have his rest because I have him and he has me. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. It is confederated. It is set. So no matter what Sister Bucketmouth says, no matter what Brother Blowhole says, you know, <clears throat> Brother Blowhole is like a whale, right? Comes up out of the water, spouts off, and then dives away before anybody can see anything. No matter what I see on the news, no matter what I see on the internet, no matter what I hear around me, I can rest in him and he rests in me because my mind is stayed on him, that it, it is laid upon him, casting some of your cares on me. Is that what the word says? Casting all your cares upon me, casting all of them, casting, leaning, laying on. You know what? If, if I lay on this pulpit like this, that I can't lay on anything else, can I? You can only lay on one thing. And if I lay on this pulpit and somebody comes up and yanks the pulpit out from underneath me, guess what happens? I fall. When we lay on Jesus, we lay all on Jesus, everything, nothing is left out. And if he fails, then I fail too. But we know he never fails, does he? <laughs> the glory of his rest comes to those who fully are resting in him. And he says, I see my servant there. He's open. He's broken. And that's where I'm going to bring my rest. So first, it's a place of rest. Second, it's a place of strength. 
When we open up to him and when we yield ourselves to him, he becomes a strength inside of us. How weak we are and how strong he is. Remember that Paul that had that thorn in the flesh? <clears throat> and we, oh, we debate and we debate and we debate about what that was and everything. And, and this, he said, I have this thorn in the flesh, this harassment from Satan that is sent to weaken me. And he says, three times I sought the Lord. And of course, three, we know he's a good preacher, so you have three points. Three times I sought the Lord. That, that's not important how much he sought the Lord. And, and then, well, who, what was the thorn? We talk about that because we, we all know it's his wife. We all knew that, but <clears throat> terrible. Who, who cares what the thorn was? That's not important. It's not important what the thorn was. Who cares why he was not delivered? It's not important why he was not delivered. The point is very simple. When I'm weak, he makes me strong. That's the point. When I think I can't go on, Paul says, guess what? He gives me strength, and I keep going on. Somehow, I don't stop. There were times in your life when you were convinced it was over. You hung your head for the last time. You wrung your hands for the last time. You, like Israel, sat down by the waters of Jordan, and you hung your harp on a willow tree and cried. And David, like David, you said, my strength is dried up like a pot's herd. It's empty. It's dry like a clay pot. My tongue is so dry, it's cleaving to my jaws. You shed what had to be your last tear, and you waited for the end. But the end didn't come because God. Hallelujah. God showed up and changed everything. Hands that hung down suddenly lifted up. Knees that were weak suddenly gained strength and you ran through a troop and you leaped over a wall. Maybe you had to crawl like the woman with the issue of blood, but you did it and you felt his virtue power. You did whatever it took because God was in you. You crawled to Jesus and you felt the touch and he felt the touch. And the virtue flowed. And it changed you. People looked at you and said, you're never going to make it. (laughs) Oh, but God. Hallelujah. They said, you're going to die in the wilderness. Oh, but God gave me hinds feet on high places. And I kept going. You said, you're never going to win. You're never going to win. But thanks be unto God who causes me to always triumph in Christ Jesus. You've wasted your life. There are some that say that. Wished I would have gotten saved sooner. I wasted my life. Thank God the word says, I'll restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, and you shall eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God. I don't care what worm the devil throws at you, God will destroy it and restore and restore. I, I like the one passage <coughs> in, um, in the word where it says that blessed is a man whose strength is in thee, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, Psalm, one of the Psalms from David who passing through the valley of weeping makes it a well and the rain fills the pools. And they go from strength to strength. Well, you and I both know that living in life, that every day is not a mountaintop, right? Every day is not a strong day. So usually when that phrase strength to strength, that oftentimes means that there is something in between the two strengths, (laughs) which is usually weakness. There's, there's always something in between the two victories, usually a failure. There's always something in between the highs. There's always the lows. And some of you might be going through that portion between the strengths. I got news for you. Strength is still coming. Strength is still coming. And there's strength on the way. So then there's one last point. I, I, just another quick uh, couple last points. So he, he makes it a place of rest. <clears throat> he makes it a... a, a, a a place of his bounty and blessing. He also makes it a place of his anointing, a place of his anointing. He says that place where the ark is, is verse 42 especially, is going to be a place of anointing. Anointing simply means unction. It's an ointment or a salve that soothes and, 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 and washes and cleanses. And there are many times in, in some worship services, I know my wife has always said it, <clears throat> sometimes in, in a worship service that's very intense, when it's over, you just want to go crawl back in the corner and just lay down and sleep like a baby. It, it's that place of rest, that place of anointing. John, told the, John the Beloved told us, you have an anointing which you've received and abides in you because of what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us. We have an anointing, a protective salve that never wears out. When you're sick, 
the anointing abides. When you're poor, the anointing abides. When you're rich, the anointing abides. When you're healthy, the anointing abides. It's always abiding. When you're confused, fearful, lack faith, stumble and fall, marching on to victory, it doesn't matter. His anointing is always there. You'll go through things that you never thought possible because of the anointing. You won't, it won't be your knowledge. It won't be your wisdom. It won't be your prayers. It won't be your smart moves. Boy, I sure know it's not my smart moves. Wow. It's not your smart moves. It's the anointing. It's the anointing that you have that will protect you, that will never wear out. It'll save you from seeing things you can't see. It'll heal you before you're sick. It'll provide for you before the need comes. It'll defeat the devil before he even starts the fight. It's the anointing in us that does those things. It's the anointing. And and Solomon knew that. He said, I've got everything in the world. I've got it all. But if I don't have your anointing, God... It's worth nothing. And then later, when he did lose the anointing, when he did backslide, that's why he had to write the book of Ecclesiastes. Because he had to come back and say, folks, let me go back and tell you something. This is what it's like without God. It's vanity of vanities. It's vapor. It's chasing the wind. It's nothing without the anointing. And then finally, where God's glory is, where that anointing is, there is goodness and mercy. Oh my goodness. Goodness and mercy. I love that. I love the way David said it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Can I, can I go back in history? This is only going to apply to just a few of you, but back in the days of Catherine Coleman, they had a thing called the men's chorus. Charles, were you in the men's chorus? Too young. (laughs) That shows you how far back we go. Wow. Because Charles is 86. So that's... No. I think, I think some of us teenagers were honorary members. And every now and then I think we used to sing it. But the men's chorus was, was a group, I don't know, 50 to 100 men. And they were all... Most of them were all ex-alcoholics, uh, drug addicts. I, I remember one gentleman, clear as a bell, I remember his face. He, he, had, he had lines all across his face, dug into his skin real deep. And I remember he was, as a young lad, I said to him, what, what was that? And he said, well, I got so drunk one time that I, I passed out on a radiator in a building. And I just laid there until it burned. And those scars were there. But he says, you know what? I got the scars of Jesus now inside of me that are much greater than these scars, and someday these scars are going to go away. Hallelujah. And these men, <laughs> the reason I bring this up is these men would get up there, and they would not, there was no rehearsal. There was nothing like that. They would just get up a hundred strong of them, and they would just start singing. I remember one song they always used to sing, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days, all the days of my life. How many remember that? Sure, sing along. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days, all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you. I want that glory. I want that goodness. I want that mercy. I want that goodness and mercy that changed all of those men's lives. I want that goodness and mercy that changed all of your lives. I want that. I I, I don't want to be in a barren place anymore. I want to be in a place of bounty and blessing. I don't want to be in a place of desolation anymore. I want his goodness flowing into my life all the time. I want his shield and his buckler around me. I want his rear guard behind me. And this happens when I say, Father, here I am. Your sacrifice, judge me, break me, shape me, mold me, however you want, because I want your glory inside of me. I want to be in that place of glory. I want to be in that place of rest Rest, strength, anointing, goodness, and mercy. I tell you what, you can't buy that stuff. And even if you have all the money in the world and you don't have those things, you ain't got nothing, my friend. Nothing. So thank God that our sacrifice, which leads to judgment, does not stop there. But God says, here comes the glory. 
Here comes the glory. And I believe in all of our lives, he's leading us into glory now. He's leading us down a path that's bringing us to new glory. I think the Lord is doing something in the church in these last days. I think he's, he's done something through these whole past couple years. Remember we said a long time ago, he's kicked the legs out of all of our chairs and we've fallen flat. And you're either going to fall flat on your face or you're going to fall flat on Jesus. And it's up to you. But I believe he's preparing us for something wonderful. Let's just bow our heads. Father, I just thank you so much that you don't leave us in sacrifice. That's, that's religion. Religion does that. Religion leaves Jesus on the cross. Religion leaves people sacrificing. Religion causes people to hurt themselves or to pay an extra fee. You don't, you don't leave us there. And you certainly don't leave us in judgment. You said that you would not allow your loved one to suffer corruption, but you raised Jesus from the dead and you raised us with him. And we can walk in newness of life. We can walk in your joy and your peace and the power and the authority of the kingdom. So we know this morning that as we open ourselves to you in these days ahead, you're going to, in us and through us, you're going to bring your anointing, you're going to bring your rest. And what, what could be better to, to bring to the world than a vessel of rest, peace, calm, assurance, a smile instead of a frown, joy instead of worry, peace. That's what you give us, and that's what we have for the world. So we thank you for that. Keep us as your servants. Keep us moving through that cycle of Moriah so that we will find that sacrifice, that judgment, and that glory over and over and over again until we meet you. Strength to strength in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. <clears throat> How many are glad you could walk out this morning with sure goodness and mercy, tagging along behind you, tripping you up the whole way? We can do it because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Turn around. Bless somebody. You are dismissed into his presence.